You're listening to a Shockcast original. Shock. The C word with Callista. So welcome back to The C Word with me, Kalista, and I'm so excited about today's guest because honestly, I had no idea who he was before 2021 and no, he's not a TikToker, which is usually the case. He's actually the Senior Vice President of The Late Late Show with James Corden and now one of its most loved characters. Nick Bernstein, welcome to your second Malaysian podcast, The C Word. <laughs> Thank you. Very happy to be here. Best intro I've ever received. <laughs> I think we have to go back to why it's your second Malaysian podcast a bit later, but I wanted to say first i'm so glad that we had our call scheduled for today because there was a brand new video out of you dressed up like a jockey sitting on a fake horse it sounds like something yeah. you'd see in a random youtube video but this was prime time late night television in the us of a so yeah. what is going on so i still i'm looking i'm literally looking at the jockey outfit that i wore so like we we have we wear masks when we're in the studio to stay safe and all that and i wore the same mask for a really long time and then i decided to switch it up and i wore a mask that i got from from my hometown where my parents live it's a horse racing town called Saratoga Springs uh upstate new york so the mask is supposed to look like the silks of a jockey what a jockey wears mm-hmm. so then after that he asked me if i would ever dress up as a jockey on the show kind of demanded that i dress up as a jockey <laughs> And I, I consider myself a pretty good sport, so I said, "All right, fine." And then the wardrobe department came to me with a custom jockey outfit that seemed silly enough. And then they double surprised me by revealing on the show that they had a like a giant real life looking plastic horse and asked me to sit on the horse. <laughs> Or basically the entire show, which I thought was really funny. So I joined in and it was somewhat uncomfortable. But after a while, you just kind of get used to it. And and we got 20 something minutes of comedy out of it. I was going to say that did not look comfortable. And you said it wasn't comfortable on the show. Yeah, it wasn't great. And I got down and then they're like, we're going to need you to get back up on the horse. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I was like... All right. It, all the way through the the end of the show, when James says goodnight, Reggie and the band usually sing a song out. And Reggie sang a song entirely about this fake horse I was on and then rode me around the studio on the horse. It was absolute chaos in like the best way for late night. I mean, if you think I haven't watched that video multiple times in preparation for this interview, <laughs> you're going to be sadly mistaken. Thanks, Calista. <laughs> Thanks for being uh being dedicated to your craft. I was so happy when it came out. Like I changed everything. I was like, nope, this is <laughs> this is going to be the main focus. <laughs> It was I mean honestly like I'm not supposed to be on television. The fact that you introduced by saying you didn't know who I was, that's how it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to know who I am. And for th- that in a such a short period of time then end up like being on this show. My job is to be like in the booth watching the show with the director and the producers and giving little notes here and there. And for them to have just thrown me on a plastic horse, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't I think that might be the culmination of my career. right there. Okay, I was actually going to say cuz I know James doesn't let you explain this properly. <laughs> but now I I I need to know the actual story. Senior but there's no junior, vice president but there's no uh-huh. vice, there's no president. So, what? <laughs> 
It's just a title. It's just a management title. I'm sure that it happens in lots of different fields. I I started as an assistant 20 something years ago in late night at NBC. And then when I started to get a little more responsibility, I got a slightly higher title. And then uh, when I came to CBS, I was a vice president and there's like a hundred vice presidents. There's a lot of us. It sounds like a fancy title, not in late night, but just across the board. You know, there's a vice president of comedy and drama and people who develop new shows. And there's vice presidents in the sales department and all over the place. And then, you know, for a job well done, they keep giving you little bumps and titles. So my new title as of last year was senior vice president, which no one ever made fun of. Jill James decided, well, he got my title wrong on a show and I corrected him, which again, that was my mistake. You I really, I, <laughs> I should have known. I don't know how often it's happened where I say something and I'm like, what, what am I doing? This is because it's, you're in a little room with essentially your friends and coworkers. Mm-hmm. So it's just a bunch of people having fun. And then it's like, oh, and it's also going out on television. <laughs> And I'm off in the punchline right now. Yeah, but it's working though, because like, I don't know what goes on the actual show on television, because obviously we don't get US television here in Malaysia. But I see all the ones that are on YouTube. And I used to watch the features like Carpool Karaoke, Spill Your Guts or Fill Your Guts. But I never really bothered so much with the like the normal monologue parts or like the news, because obviously it doesn't really yeah. relate to us over here, right? But since the whole staff team has been involved, it's you don't need to relate to it because it's just so funny. And I'm <laughs> Sorry, like your parts are so funny. It's uh, well, no, I, I mean it's it's nice to hear, and it's it's okay. I uh, I grew up loving late night television, and I watched it all growing up. And my favorite parts of the show always are when you sort of like get to peek behind the curtain a little bit and mm-hmm. see what is going on with this you know chaotic group of people that are creating anarchy on television. So when you're able to bring those people into the mix in a in a real way, in an organic way, I think that's always really exciting. This happened because these shows have to be malleable, right? Like there's only so much we can do during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. We're only allowed to basically be in this room, but there's not that much to do when you you have to be six feet apart from everybody. Yeah. So then you start making characters out of people who aren't supposed to be on TV or who have certain roles that are defined until they're no longer defined. So it might be Pete, the camera guy. It might be Susan, audio. It could be Guillermo, the drummer. Like we've all had moments where we're front and center where we never would have been. And and I do think that's very relatable to anyone in any part of the world. Clearly, I mean, like, I cannot believe that <laughs> I've been on now two Malaysian podcasts and I couldn't be happier about it. I think it's incredible. So I've been reading all the comments on YouTube and I think most people are more excited for you guys to be on the show than like the celebrities. No. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, oh, why isn't Susan on today? Why why is nobody paying attention to Pete? (laughs) (laughs) I think that it is really cool that there is such a dedicated group of viewers who now really enjoy knowing what we've done or hearing the follow-up stories to something that we've mentioned, sometimes by accident. I've had conversations with people after the show where we're all looking at each other and they're like, I don't know why I shared that. (laughs) I don't know why I said that. And then... For weeks later, there's people asking like about the summer of Susan or about like Hagar's trip to the beach or what whatever the whatever the topic was. And there is something very relatable to that mm-hmm. where it's always going to be fun to watch James doing something with The Rock 
or, you know, Prince Harry or like these people that are willing to be silly with with James. That's always going to be exciting. But to have this other component that's maybe not equally interesting, but certainly like fascinating and completely unique to to late night. This can only happen on this show. Like that is really cool. I love that everyone's always so quick. Like you got James, who's obviously a comedian. Then you've got um, Ian as well. But Mm -hmm. Everybody who's like got the mic shoved in their face yeah. seems to be really quick and witty. And it's just like a whole team of people who seem to to get along so well. I don't know. Maybe you guys have already pinpointed who is good to put on the mic. Or does I mean, it I appreciate that you think that it might be pinpointed. There's there's very little that is thought out in advance of that that moment of time the the people that you in that room, there's like at least seven or eight writers. All those writers are super funny. Anytime the mic is in front of them, chances are they're going to say something hilarious. Like Molly had a question for Dr. Phil and she was really funny. Cece is hilarious. Louis, who's another British writer who sometimes does sketches on the show, is just like constantly just cracking us all up. And then it is once again, like when you expand beyond that, like I'm, I don't know, I guess I'm playful. So Mm. I know late night really well. So I feel like I have the green light to play along and I can't try to be funny. I can just only be myself, but sometimes that turns into like a very fun environment. And so I can appreciate it and not take myself too seriously. I think the band is hilarious. Like Tim and Steve always do really funny things. This whole, like there's an intro to the news, which I'm, it sounds Mm. like you've seen it before, but like almost every day there's a different theme song for the news and that's made up more or less if not on the spot it's not thought out or planned out well in advance and that comes sometimes turns into a really funny joke this is it's a group of people that really enjoy having fun together and being Mm -hmm. fun together and i think that we all wanted to be in comedy so i think we at least have sort of the gene there for it and once again like we're not performing Mm -hmm. so i think if the vibe is you're hanging out in a room with a bunch of friends and you're in on the jokes. Yeah. That's the goal. I think that they pull that off. And, you know, obviously, like we tape a little bit longer than what ends up on air. So you're seeing the best parts of what we've done. And I think that's helpful too. Yeah. I mean, I had to ask because the radio station that I'm with hits is part of a, a larger group, which is Astro, which is, I would imagine kind of like the CBS of Malaysia. It's also like a whole network of different shows and uh, TV radio and all that. Mm-hmm. So of course, I know some things are completely organic. Some things are planned and the audience doesn't always realize which ones are planned and which ones are not. Sure. So yeah, it's, it, it's kind of difficult to tell sometimes. But I think like you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's about not taking yourself too seriously. And that's what makes it funny. If if you are not worried about saying the wrong thing and getting taken the mickey out of all the time, then something's going <laughs> to work, right? Yeah, I think that's the thing. I feel like, have I gotten in trouble with my bosses and or different departments before? Yeah, but not so much so that I have to censor myself mm-hmm. to a great extent. And I think there's like a comfort level in knowing like the show's going to put the best version of that show out there. And they have that really fun balance where there are written jokes in the show, but that is the monologue. That is the the news. Mm -hmm. And so anytime when James wants to veer away from whatever's on the teleprompter, he's got the green light to do that. But if it doesn't bear fruit, then he gets to go back to the jokes that were written by professional writers. But that's not whatever Pete's saying or what Susan's saying or... They don't have a teleprompter. 
Yeah. I was actually going to ask you about that because the very first video I saw of you, you were giving them hell for mentioning brands on air. That was the Mm -hmm. very first one that I saw. And I think that's what drew me to you because I immediately sent that video to my manager saying, does this remind you of someone? (laughs) Because I mean, here at the radio station, we get that too, right? Like not being able to mention certain brands or even like certain TV shows that are not like aired on our station and stuff like that. But how much trouble did everyone actually get in after that? There was a pretty good talking to. Here's my take on it. I don't think we necessarily went too far, but we definitely (laughs) hit that line where it was understandable that we would get a call from sales or our bosses or both. For me, it was like the joke was too good not to allow that to happen. And the one I assume you're talking about is like when everyone wore like Gap Athleisure wear and surprised me with it. You can't go fishing for brands to send you things when you have a broadcast, a big time broadcast show like this, like that is not what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And so it is really genuinely part of my job to rein them in when it comes to something like that. However, I I couldn't help but laugh. It was a really (laughs) funny bit. I didn't see it coming. They pulled one on me in a a really good way. And I don't know, sometimes you just got to give one to them. Well, that's that's the thing. You look so uncomfortable and like that was how we were first introduced to your character and I say character lightly because it's literally just Nick Bernstein in real life right (laughs) I don't think there's a difference but I understand why you would say that you were definitely more reserved and a little bit more tense and I think it's because being from the same industry you kind of know like this is this is gonna be it might get you in some big trouble and you could kind of see like you were you were a little bit scared of what would happen after that but the video that came out you said that you would do anything that makes the show fun yeah so has your view of the show and your role in it kind of changed since being on the show? That's a really good question. I don't think my view of the show has changed necessarily other than like I'm very proud of the way that everyone has grown closer together and figured out how to do something they find interesting and fun and that I think their audience also finds interesting and fun. I am a network slash studio executive. And so like my relationship with the show is slightly more distance. But Mm -hmm. I've always tried from day one, because I've been with the show since it started, to have my office based in the same place as the the show is, so that they saw me all the time. They knew that I was watching every day. I'm reading scripts. I know the people who make, who produce the segments or who write the bits. And I'm as much a part of the show as I can be, but slightly removed so that if I have to be the (laughs) responsible adult in the room, I can do that also. How I feel now is like, I think I've just grown closer to everyone. And they probably know me better because I've had to share so much of myself, which I guess for better or worse, I I don't mind it so far, but it's still been a fairly short window of time that I've been doing this. Okay, I think we didn't really cover this early on. What is your role to the show? Like what does a senior (laughs) vice president of The Late Late Show do? So I am the like person who helps, I'll just put it this way. On a really good day, all I have to do is watch the show. I laugh, I tell them you did a good job. They make their edits. Show goes on the air. We all go home. That happens quite a lot because it's a really fine-tuned machine at this point with very professional people making it. Throughout the day, though, I am the person who interacts with all the other departments. I'm the conduit for all these other departments to find out what's happening on the show or to help make something happen on the show. So that might be the publicity department or the people who make the promos, the people who handle like international sales, 
I coordinate with like the UK when we do specials and, and series with them. I help business affairs when it comes to making deals for people who work on the show. When the show was first starting, I helped to give suggestions for possible producers, writers, people who work in post and who edit. I occasionally let them know if something they've done is a similar joke happened on another show because I try to keep up on what else is going on. And then I also help and work on all the spinoffs that have come from the Late Late Show also. So mm-hmm. they've had Carpool Karaoke, the series. They've had a show called Drop the Mic, which was a rap battle show. Mm-hmm. I don't work on the Stephen Colbert show, but but he also has a bunch of animated spinoffs. So I work on those shows as well. And on those, I might give more notes when it comes to the comedy. I don't necessarily really have to do that here. And the last thing that I kind of do is we're always looking for specials and bigger sort of event things to be able to do. I'm not the one who's said like, let's send James Corden to London. That was something very easy that, that James and Ben Winston uh, one of his producers, mm-hmm. James Longman, they were all like, we can do this and we have relationships there. But CBS, we are a bunch of like the Super Bowl and the championship games and football and sports. And, and when we've done things like that, I've been the one to push like, let's do a special episode after one of those games because there'll be 50 or 60 million people that watch that. And I think they'll want to watch something afterwards. And we've done a lot of things with sports players. So I'll have set up something like that to, to get it done. So So my job is like all encompassing, but... It's little things I do throughout the day. So I guess my next question is, how did you even have time to do this interview? <laughs> because that sounds like 24 hours is not going to be enough. <laughs> I mean, the good news is that's like, I said a lot of things, but they don't all happen every single day. So I can compartmentalize pretty well and no one's ever off their phones, right? So we're always sort of working on something. If we bring it back to how I even thought of asking you to be on this podcast, James actually mentioned that you'd been doing a few interviews, including a Malaysian podcast. Shout out to So This Is My Why. And I noticed her podcast was so serious. It went into how like from your childhood and your whole journey up till now. And I feel like I kind of have to apologize because I brought you onto the C-word to basically make fun of you a little bit more. No, that was, uh, I mean, I appreciate it. That's she was so sweet. Ling was great. I didn't realize that she was going to ask me questions from basically day one to the point where like I literally missed dinner with my family because we were talking for so long. But she was much like you, like you all did your homework and you came prepared with questions about things that I didn't necessarily think I'd be talking about on a podcast. Um, but I also didn't know I was going to be on a horse yesterday. So uh, <laughs> you kind of got to roll with the punches on these things. I'm not going to take that credit because I've been binge watching. <laughs> I think I only discovered it probably two months since that first gap episode and then I just binge watched everything yeah. after that it was great I love Disney's. it <laughs> yeah well, I'm glad you're enjoying it I am but what is it like just being on late night like is it like a super fast-paced environment or has it become less fast-paced now because of the pandemic time is really strange now it feels both ways sometimes like May doesn't feel that long ago like when I which was when I first was able to come back to the studio and I got permission to come back. And then they started putting me on the show. And before that I was at home, like so many people. And I watched the show on my computer through, you know, zoom or whatever Mm -hmm. we were using. And those days felt really long, but that 45 minutes or 50, you know, hour and 10 minutes or however long it was that we're watching that episode, that feels like it flies by and we're Mm -hmm. all like, it's just, it, it was real joyous. And that's true whether I was watching it through the computer or if I'm in the studio. 
I think that's pretty palpable. The pace is pretty fast. Sometimes felt breakneck at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And the more accustomed everyone gets to each other and the better they know the rhythms, the better they sort of can control the day and the schedule. So it might be packed, but I think it's fairly rare at this point that it feels too overwhelming for any one person, including James. There were those tense days are in the beginnings of the show when it's like, because we're on the West Coast and the show actually airs first on the East Coast. So we like in those early days, we might not finish taping a show until 7 p.m. And then they have about two hours to edit the show because by 9.37 p.m. our time, that show is airing on the West Coast. But it's still, this is, sorry, probably more information than you need, but like, <laughs> It takes a while for the post-production team to actually like physically have the, the show ready to air. Someone's got to push a button. That act has to be in the machine. So there are tense moments where like sweat's dripping off people's faces while they're hoping that a show is finished editing and ingesting so that it can get on the air. And so it's not dead air at 1237 on the East Coast. Those were challenging days, but that's fairly normal for a show when it's starting. That doesn't happen as much now. I think we just sort of have it down and I say we, but it's really they, they kind of know what they're doing now. And so the pace is fast. It's also exciting when like something breaks in the news and the world that we just have to discuss. And there have been moments, oftentimes it's not the best news. Sometimes something might happen at like six o'clock at night and we're like, well, we're going to have to talk about this. So we have to add three or four minutes. The writers have to come up with something to add to put into the monologue or say about whatever that topic is. Or in the more fun universe. It might be like, hey, Kevin Durant of the Golden State Warriors in 2018, he just won the NBA championship and he wants to come on the show via FaceTime, change the show for tomorrow. We're going to do this. We're going to have to cancel a guest or postpone a guest and we'll figure this out because we got the world champs on. And that's really fun too. And that happens in radio also where something yeah. happens, change everything, throw out the script. And I, I, that is why it's like exciting. So yeah, it's breakneck in a good way in that way. I think that's the hard part because for us as well, we've been working from home. And of course, in everyone's head, it's like, oh, did you get this fancy setup to like go on air from home? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I also was not able to go on air live for the past 18 months. So when I'm pre-recording and then somebody drops a song or some big news drops or, or whatever, there's not enough time for me to, to put it on my show. And then I don't think anyone really notices, especially with radio, because I always feel like radio is in one ear, out the other. And obviously you don't have it on YouTube or anything to go and look back on, but it just feels like a missed opportunity when, when something big happens and you're not there physically to be able to talk about it straight away. Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, I, I think radio is the entry point for so many people. It was for mm -hmm. me. Like I grew up listening to DJs in my hometown. And even like when I was in college, I did morning radio. That was sort of my foray into like, we get to talk about whatever just happened. Yeah. And that's so much fun. Sometimes the debate here, which I'm sure is the same with you too, is uh, do enough people know about this thing yet that just happened? Or is it okay if it happened, if we talk about it the next day, because that's more people are getting to know it. Like you mm -hmm. think everyone's talking about whatever, the new Kanye, the new Drake, if it's for you or, you know, whatever Biden just said, if it's for us. And some people are like, have no idea yet because yeah. <laughs> this hasn't come up yet because everyone's feet are on different feet. So that debate happens quite a lot with us. One of the, the parts that I like on the show is where James kind of asks everyone, well, he does like a pop quiz on pop culture and everything and <sighs> nobody knows. Oh my gosh. 
anything. And that's like an argument I always have with my team as well. So how can you not know this? The other day I talked to someone who asked me who Olivia Rodrigo was. And I was like, what do you mean? Who is Olivia Rodrigo? But I think we just kind of forget because we're living in this world and you kind of forget that people on the outside who have jobs that have nothing to do with entertainment, they are not looking or listening to these things at all most of the time. It's just what they hear in passing, you know? Oh, yeah. No, that's all of that rings true. The band, when they're given that pop quiz, is so funny because I've never talked to them about it. Do they play it up sometimes about like how little they know or decide to answer with the most ridiculous non-answers? Probably a little Mm -hmm. bit because they understand the bit at this point. But but they definitely do not know some real basic things. Tim is the funniest. There was a picture with, I think it was Biden and Olivia Rodrigo. And he said that he knew Joe Biden, which thank God. But he was like, I don't know, it could be one of any like dozen cute brunette girls. And I was like, come on. He man. said like, it was Meghan Markle, right? <laughs> he did. He said it was Meghan Markle at one point. <laughs> and, that, okay. I mean, there's like a 20 plus year age difference between those two people. It, I, I think, mean, it makes us crack up. I think that's the best part though. And I was talking to someone about a music video. No, I wasn't talking to someone. It was our music video. <laughs> and it's like, people are not looking for perfection at this point. They want something real. And I think that's what the Late Late Show is doing really well. Even when James kind of gives Steve looks when he messes up the news, yeah. the, the tune and everything. I think that's that's the part that is really killing it, especially on YouTube. Which brings me to my next question. Is YouTube as important as the show ratings on television in 2021? I would say, yeah, they're both really important. I, I'd say that we value our social media presence in a huge way. We have from day one also. A lot of the people who worked on the show came from other shows where we felt and saw how important that community, YouTube especially, has been to the growth of a show. And so we take it very seriously about how we interact. We've got a five-person digital team here, which spends all day getting the voice of the show on these other platforms. And we definitely see like what's popping. People read the comments. People are even, you know, the Late Late Show does interact also with fans, uh, I think on all those platforms, it it makes a difference. I mean, we, you know, not everything is going to be a massive viral hit. It's very hard to like concoct those things mm-hmm. at this point that they have to take off on their own. Separately though, you know, like we all knew that people were going to be interested in say James going around town with Prince Harry or doing a carpool karaoke with the cast of Cinderella. But like, you don't know when a monologue is going to go crazy and when people are going to start talking about Nick Bernstein. Bits. Yeah. <laughs> So, so that's always sort of interesting to watch too. I don't necessarily think that we then do other bits specifically so that we can get clicks and likes. I don't think that that's really the focus of the show. I think it is like, what makes us laugh? What is, what does James want to do? How do we create the best show? And then taking that content and making it available and accessible everywhere. How much creative freedom does the team, does James actually have? And is there any kind of like, other than sales and brands, is there any kind of list of things that you're not allowed to talk about? Because in Malaysia, there's definitely a a huge list of things. We wouldn't be able to talk about our Joe Biden, for instance. I don't think we have a list similarly. There's, There's quite a lot of freedom here. We have a legal team and we have a programming and standards team that watches the show every day and cautions us if there's something that's gone too far. Here's a small story. At the very beginning, when we were first starting, James wrote me a note and I'm looking at it right now. I wasn't in my office for some reason and he just took stationary and he said, let me jump out of a plane. It'll be amazing. 
And I was like, no one is going to let you jump out of a plane before we've done the show. Because what could be worse than there's some accident and we never get to do the show because you <laughs> wanted to do some stunt as a promo. Mm-hmm. That's never going to happen. Of course, four years later, Tom Cruise says, you want to jump out of a plane with me? And no one's like, well, let's see. Let's see what happens. They're like, if the insurance can, company can cover it and afford it and you, you can afford it and it's gotten all the safety approvals, like, yeah, go for it. And so like that became one of the biggest things that I think the show has ever done. And it looked incredible. So like if we could do that, I I don't know how many other things we're not able to do at this point. I feel like it's also one of those cases where it's like, is it the thing or it depends on who says it? (laughs) So when James says, can I jump on a plane? It's like, are you are you okay? If Tom Cruise says it, you're like, yes, that's a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A lot changed between like December 2014 and June of 2017 or whenever we did it. And taking the show on a cruise was a huge topic before you guys went on summer break. And then you came back and I assume it's a no-go because it's never been mentioned since. Well, these things take more time to come together than us saying it one day and then it happening. I mean, we still are in a pandemic, so we got to sort of figure out how to barely get out of the studio right now. It took us weeks to get approval to get four people in a car. It's a lot easier to get a big plastic horse into the studio than it is to get a hundred something people onto a cruise. So I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but it still comes up on a semi-regular basis. Well, since you've taken the show to England, um, could I suggest Southeast Asia or more particularly Kuala Lumpur? (laughs) (laughs) Listen, it would be... To travel the show is one of the most fun things you could possibly do. And nothing would make me happier than if we got to do some type of tour. And if we got to see you all in person, that would be pretty amazing. I know this is a question that I'm going to get as soon as this goes out. So I just want to get it out so people know that I'm not lying and the words come from you. How difficult is it to get a job in US television from a whole other country? And if somebody wanted to get their foot in the door in late night, what would be your suggestion? I think it is challenging period to get a job in late night because there's only so many shows. Mm -hmm. And once you get on one of these shows, a lot of people stay there. And so the amount of new opportunities that come are are kind of minimal. Mm -hmm. But there are so many late night adjacent things. And the way you build up your resume is by showing the things that you've been able to do and are doing. So, you know, I, we already talked about it once before, but I feel like morning radio and live topical things that has a lot of similarities to what late night is. And the ability to do things like that gives you an opportunity to showcase what you could do given a chance on something like a late night show. I think a lot of morning television has similar things, anything that you're doing that is reflective and reactive to what's happening in the day. And then if you're doing anything comedic, there's almost no excuse these days to not make your own stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a good idea, and you have a handful of friends that you like to be creative with, you make those things. Let them, you know, find a base and platform online. Attention grabbing things really get out there. And so we just had an artist called, uh, his name is Teddy Swims on the show. Mm -hmm. And he found his fame by doing covers online, like Bieber did in the early 2010s. And build up a following. And now he's on the show. He's from Atlanta. He's not from another country, but sometimes that feels the same. Being 3000 miles away or 10,000 miles away. I don't know how much of a difference that is. So I think 
you have to find your creative outlet mm-hmm. and keep on honing that skill. And that's how you start to attract attention. Okay. And last question, which is probably the exact opposite of that, I guess. Since James has been giving you so much distress over getting on these podcasts and everything, what do you think would have to happen to for us to get him on the C word? And would a box of Malaysian <laughs> snacks work? It, it probably wouldn't hurt. Uh, <laughs> that is a really good question. I don't know. I mean, listen, the last time I mentioned that I did a talk show with an eight-year-old, James was willing to, uh, he hasn't done the show yet, but he was talked about how much he loved Kevin. And that kid is obsessed with James, obsessed as a, for an eight-year-old. He just loves him. He loves the show. It wouldn't be the wildest thing in the world if he, if he decided to, to do one of those shows. It's a great question and I'm sure it's going to come up and I don't really know the answer. James <laughs> kind of does what he wants. But he does love, I don't know, when he finds something that he really likes, he usually does it. I, I know that he did, like, he hung out on Zoom with the, like, high school in Houston, like, their after-school program who was just, that they were into media, and he spent, like, 45 minutes talking to them. So it's not out of the question that he does these things, but I don't know when or why he says yes to some things. Okay, well, we have to find out because I know he likes his snacks and I like my snacks. And if he if it's not illegal to actually send snacks to the US, actually. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I don't really know the answer to that one. It's going to be some digging. All right, well, thank you so much for giving me some of your time. I know you're a very, very busy man. And No, absolutely. It's really fun. It's really nice to meet you. Thanks for reaching out. Thank you so much. The C Word with Callista.